So the last two Sundays we've been talking about the sovereignty of God. Yes, Kay. Please go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Sister Kay. So God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, he is, God is sovereign. Have you been thinking about this over the last week? How God, God's sovereignty comes in and he does things sometimes of his own will. Sometimes, many times, almost all the time, because God wants to do things, he's going to do them. He's powerful that way. And if you, if you've missed those messages, I encourage you to get on our website and listen to him just real quick so that today's message makes even more sense to you because I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about. But let, let's think about God's sovereignty. God's, when someone's sovereign, that means what they say goes. Let's say a mom or dad in a family, you know, what they say goes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully they're not overly, overly harsh, but, you know, it, it's that. You know, when my boss tells me, do this well guess what i go do it sometimes i have a i have a great boss by the way he'll he'll ask me steve do you have the time for this and i'm thinking in the back of my mind even if i didn't i would do it <laughs> my boss tells me to do something or asks me to do something um you know my in my opinion when when somebody in authority tells me to jump i just ask how high <laughs> how high do you want me to jump you know I'm going to go in all the way. And God, if God, if we're that way with our boss or someone who's in kind of authority over us in this world, don't you think we should be that way with God? Why should we be second-guessing God? If he asks us to do something, we should just go do it. But, but here's the question about sovereignty. There are some Christians who say that God's sovereignty is irresistible. Did you hear that? There's some Christians who believe and say that God's sovereignty is ir irresistible. What do I mean by that? That means that if God decides to do something, ain't nobody going to get in his way, and it's going to happen that way, that whether we like it or not, from the greatest details to the most minor details. So I'd be curious to know what you think, because I think a lot of us are probably somewhere in between that those extremes of God dictates every single thing that goes on versus God spun the world and just let it go <laughs> is the truth somewhere in between those two extremes but there's there's Christians who believe that God's sovereignty is irresistible that whatever everything that is 
it must be God's will. <laughs> you know, the, the ultimate conclusion to that then would be people go to hell, therefore it must be God's will for people to go to hell. No, I'm just saying that that's what, that's the, that's, that's the extreme. Um, there's people who are sick and suffering, and therefore it must be God's will for us to be sick and suffering. Um, there's many people who are impoverished, millions of them. Therefore, it must be God's will for us to be impoverished. All right? See what I mean? You say, well, God's sovereign. Then everything that I see must be God's sovereignty at work. Question that. The mantras of people who say these things would say, it's all going to work out. Have you ever said that before? It's all going to work out. Or somebody told you, you come to your friend with a problem, I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's... And they say, don't worry, it's all going to work out. What? <laughs> that doesn't help me any. What are you talking about? Or another statement that they might say to you, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. <laughs> is that true? Does that sound right to you? Is that not just to sound, sound right to you, is that biblical is that what the bible teaches us what you call this by the way is predeterminate predeterminism it means god predetermined everything that was going to happen and and we're just robots we're just a cog in the wheel and it just kind of works its way out predeterminism everything's predetermined controlled by god it's predestined to the nth degree and that's how things work out a non-christian term for this a non-christian religious term for this is also called fatalism fatalism you know what i'm just going to live my life because whatever's going to happen is going to happen all right um, all the events are subject not to god in this case but to destiny it just happens. Destiny is in control somehow. There's this mysterious, mystical destiny thing that's going to just make things end up the way that they're supposed to end up. Well, most religions end up buying into this belief. All right? Um, the average Muslim is definitely into fatalism, definitely believes in fatalism. Um, Hindus, although they're taught that there's free will, um, also tend to be very fatalistic. Um, I, I want to give you some, some problems with this, <laughs> some, some significant problems with this, with this teaching. Um, whether you're Christian, whether you're just religious, whether you're agnostic, whether you're atheistic, or you're an atheist, here's some problems with this belief, this, this system of belief. It denies the reality and the power of evil. Do you know that? If God predetermines every single thing, whether good or bad, there's no evil in this world, though, then. It's, it's just going to happen the way that it's going to happen. And evil can't sway one way or the other, nor can we sway one way or the other. It also, if you think about it, it distances humanity from God so there's no personal relationship or no need for a personal relationship with God because everything is going to end up happening the way God wants it to anyway. So why should I bother spending my time coming to church, reading my Bible, or having kind of 
any kind of talk with God because it's going to happen the way that it's going to happen. So that's it's another problem with this belief. It certainly takes empathy and sympathy and throws it out the window. I can't feel sorry for anybody then because whatever's going to happen is going to happen to them anyways. So why worry about it? Why care about people? It doesn't matter. If their destiny is, is drugs, they're going to be in drugs the rest of their life. If their destiny is five marriages, they're going to have five marriages anyways. You know, if their destiny is they're a pedophile, they're going to be a pedophile anyways. Does that sound right to you? Does that sound right to you? It certainly takes love and goodness and says there's no place for love and goodness because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'll tell you, here's the reality. It makes you just have a simply defeated mindset because you have no control over your destiny is what this tells us. God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. I have no control over my destiny, so I may as well be defeated. Or I may as well go party like crazy because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Or you quit trying. That's another one. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's what a lot of us would end up doing. But what is the truth of God's sovereignty? How God is sovereign, but we see a world of complete chaos around us sometimes a world of good, a world of bad, a world of good outcomes, a world of bad outcomes. What is the truth of God's sovereignty? And I say a significant key to understanding how God decided to apply his sovereignty is if you look at the beginning of things. That's how you get to see, oh, God's sovereign. He's definitely sovereign. And here's how he decided to apply his sovereignty in our world. All right, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at how God set things up and it'll help us understand why things are the way they are today and what we can do about it because God still wants to apply his sovereignty in our day-to-day lives, but we play a part. So here's a, here's a quick Bible study tip that I apply to myself all the time. Whatever the Bible says, the Bible means what it says and it says what it means. <laughs> you don't have to read a scripture and say, well, but actually it means thus and so. If the Bible says it, it means it. And it means what it says. And so you'll notice that as I read through these scriptures, that's how I'm applying it. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Otherwise, you end up in a, in a troublesome place. So a couple of questions before we get started. To what level did God intend to exert his sovereignty on earth? To what level? Did he intend to exert his sovereignty to every detail of your life? Or maybe some details of your life? Or just the big picture? To what level? Did God ever intend to allow human beings to participate or even share in his sovereignty? Did God intend for you to have some level of sovereignty in your own life and delegate something to you? That's a question. Here's another question. If God is sovereign, why on earth are things so out of control around us and out of alignment with his will? God, we know what God's will is oftentimes. Why don't we see it that working out that way? And can I do something to correct things? Can I play a part in all of this? And then lastly, if things happen outside of God's will, does it mean that God isn't sovereign then? So you can take the other angle and say, you know what? There's too much out of chaos. God doesn't exist or he doesn't care 
or something, or he's not sovereign, he's not as powerful as I thought he was. So you can go to so many different extremes with the sovereignty of God. God has the answer for us. God has the answer for you and for me right here in the Bible. So let's start in the beginning because that's where we can begin to see how God wanted to apply his sovereignty and, and, uh, and, and, and we can translate that into what we see nowadays. So Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of time, the beginning of the world, not in the beginning of God because God has always existed. All right, so in the beginning of time, in the beginning of the world, God created the heavens and the earth. Doesn't say there was any evolution. <laughs> Doesn't say we came from apes or monkeys. God created you in his image. All right? Is there a place for evolution? Well, yeah, there's some things that clearly, um, I can't remember the word, get better and, and get into their environment. And adapt. They're adaptive is what it is. There's adaptation that goes on. But the theory or the hypothesis of evolution is not anywhere to be found in the Bible and not to be really to be found anywhere in science, but we're not going to go there right now. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Did God create the earth because somebody asked him to do it? Somebody influenced God and kind of say, God, you need to do this? No, God sovereignly created the heavens and the earth with no input from anyone because no one was around to give him input, I guess. There may, it's probably possible that angels were around at that time, celestial beings, but God sovereignly created the world by his word, as we will see. Verse 3, in fact, here it says, God said let there be light and what happens there was light what is the sign of sovereignty whenever you say something and it happens that's the sign of sovereignty so you know i got to thinking about this and feeling pretty good about myself actually if i tell my kids hey go out and mow the lawn guess what happens they mow the lawn now i don't tell them i try to suggest it and we try to schedule things but you know the level of sovereign satisfaction that I get when I'm sitting at my, my table there looking out back and there's my little boys mowing the lawn just because I said the word? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, okay? I'm, but the point is, is we all have experienced sovereignty. We've spoken the word and it's happened. Some of us are teachers and educators. You say the word, most often I bet it happens. Maybe sometimes there's a rebellious child out there, but you see the level of sovereignty. You say the word and it happens. That's a sign of sovereignty. God said, let there be light. Boom, instantly there was light. That's sovereignty. No input from anybody else. God saw the light was good. Listen to that. There's something about God's sovereignty that is very, very good. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day by his own volition, his own will, he said, I'm going to call this day. He was sovereign. He, he named things. All right? The darkness he called night, and there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. So we see that sovereignty has about a spoken word resulting in action. It's about power and authority. And I, I always like to pray and praise God. Praise you, God, for your authority. I praise you, God, for your power. But you know what I'm learning more and more? Those just stem from his sovereignty. So I'm praising God now just for your sovereignty. 
your sovereignty, which translates into power, and first of all, into authority, and then into power. Um, we see that sovereignty has to do with goodness. We'll talk about that. And he gave names to his creation. He didn't consult anyone on what he should call anything because no one was around probably to be consulted anyways. Verse 6 of Genesis 1, God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water, the water from water. So God made the vault, and, and, and that was our atmosphere, and separated the water uh, under the vault from the water above it. And it's, it's just incredible to think about the delicate, balance of nature if our atmosphere was just a little bit thinner we'd all fry you know if it was a little thicker there'd be bad things that happen there as well do you really really think our environmentalists can protect our world no god is protecting our world should we be environmentally conscious absolutely i i want to this is god's creation we need to take care of it do we need to get overly obsessed and think that we're in, in a, a horrible, what do you call this? Um, I'm trying to blank. Um, you know, the world's getting hotter and hotter. What do you call this? Global warming. We know there's cycles. You know, at some point there's going to be global cooling. All right? There's these cycles that go through. Our world, let me tell you what, our world is not going to come in, to an end because we destroy it. Our world is going to come to an end because God destroys it. It's clearly set forth in the Bible. So those fears of us having that level of control, that level of sovereignty are really unfounded. I'm not saying to be uh, unwise. We shouldn't be throwing bottled water into our oceans. We shouldn't be killing uh, endangered species. We should watch over what God's created, but we can't go to extremes either. All right, so anyways, God uh, creates the sky in the evening, in the morning, the second day, verse 9. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And so, and so it was. There again, God's sovereignty. He called the dry, land, dry ground land and he gathered the waters and called them seas. And God saw that it was good. God's word just embodies action. I think of this, uh, the centurion. I've mentioned it already several times, but it always comes to mind. He told Jesus, just speak the word and it, my servant will be healed. Just speak the word. I think so often we pray for healing, and we should pray for this or pray for that. You know what I'm really, really learning to pray for is God's word. Speak your word to me so that I can have faith so that it will take place. Let me hear from you, O God. That's the most important thing. And so in verse 11, God said, land needs to produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees, so on and so forth. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation. It did it, just like he said. Uh, plants bearing seeds according to their different kinds. God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning again. It was the third day. Now let, let me just pause here. We keep hearing the saying, it was good. Let me tell you what. It's really, really good for God's sovereignty to shine through in our, our lives. It is really a good thing when God takes sovereign control of a situation. It is. It's good. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, uh, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he started going around and healing people and delivering people and providing for people, doing unbelievable miracles. What was that? That was the sovereignty of God here on earth. You and I, we really want God's sovereign will to be done. 
We really, 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 really do. It's good. God's sovereign will is good. All right, so verse 14, God said, let there be lights. I'm not going to read every single one, every single verse here, but we're going to get to verse 22. All right, verse 22, and we see a new wrinkle in God's sovereignty. God's doing everything of his own will. Nobody's getting in his way. Nobody's stopping him. But in verse 22, God blessed them, meaning the, the birds that he had created, the animals that he had created, every living creature exclusive of mankind, because we're going to get to that in a second, here in just a second. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the water in the seas and let birds increase on earth. And then there was evening and morning. So God's sovereign blessing. Now the Bible is very clear that if we're obedient to God, he blesses us. But I'll tell you what, it's very clear as well that God blesses us sometimes even when we're not obeying him. I think of myself. That's God's sovereignty. When God blesses you in spite of yourself. When you, you've been doing the wrong thing and God says, I'm going to go ahead and bless you because I love you. That's a clear picture of God's sovereignty. Him deciding, I'm going to bless despite your, your pathetic behavior. <laughs> I'm talking about myself, you know, where I've messed up and God went ahead and forgave me and cleaned me up and, and then blessed me on top of everything. God's decision, he blesses. So verse 24 he uh, let the land, he said, uh, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. There's livestock, verse 26. Um, but then he, he said, let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind. So he's created everything except for mankind. And he creates mankind in the image of God and in our likeness. Now, just, just. If, if you could think about this for a second, God didn't say in my image. Isn't it interesting that God said in our image? What do you make of that? Because the Bible is very clear that there's one God, one God. Well, this here helps us begin to get a picture, the very first picture of the, the, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there at creation, all one God, yet three persons of the Godhead. Hard to fathom, far, hard to understand, but it's very clear. And then throughout Scripture, you see it over and over again. When Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized, he came up out of the water. A dove signifying the Holy Spirit came and lighted upon him. And then the voice of his Father said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. See, that's amazing, that, that the Trinity, the triune God. But here we see it. It says, uh, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that he may rule. Well, that's a sovereign word there, if you think about it. You stop and think about that for a second. That he may rule. Wow. Over the fish in this, of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image because God wanted to create mankind in his own image. God wanted you and me to have a level of sovereignty, of ruling over things in this earth. 
He said he created in them in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. You know, I have to pause here and there because these things are so apropos. They're so important to the society that we live in with this gender confusion, folks. He created us male and female. He didn't cre create males to be something else or females to be something else. He created us. We should be very strong in our, in our gender identity, in our spiritual identity. God created you the way that you are and loves you the way that you are. And you and I, we need to appreciate the way that we are. And there's, you know, we've gotten so far off that we don't even know who we are or appreciate who we are. God created you the way you are, and you should be happy with that. I look in the mirror, I look at my bald head in the morning, I say, God, you know what? I like that guy. You know what? I'm, I'm the way God created me to be. I'm not going to go put growth hormones on my head. My wife loves me. I'm fine. I don't need anything else, right? Be comfortable with who God has made you. You know, I have all the weaknesses in the world. I got some strengths. I wouldn't wish my weaknesses on anybody. But I don't want your weaknesses either. <laughs> right? So I'm going to be who God created me to be. All right, so God decided to make man in his own image. And listen to this. This is key. To participate in part of God's sovereignty. God wants you to participate. In essence, he, and this is a strong word, he delegated, he didn't give up, but he delegated some of his sovereignty to you to be able to make some decisions here on earth. You weren't predetermined. You weren't wound up like a robot and then let go. You can make decisions each and every day that affect your outcome. And that's why we have to be careful. Why is the Bible, Chuck, full of warnings and admonitions and encouragement saying, be careful, don't do this, do this? Why? Because you have the decision to do this and not do that. You've been given the right to decide. You've been delegated a certain level of sovereignty to rule, <laughs> to make decisions. We call that free will. Has God given you free will? Of course he's given you free will. He's given you the will to decide. We also see in this that he's given you in the image of God. What's the image of God? Well, I, I think of many words, but one of them is glory. And we see this throughout these scriptures. The glory of God, he took some of his glory and he deposited it in you. He took, that's the image of God. He took some of his glory and deposited it in you. Certainly, if you have Jesus living in your life, that deposit of glory is the Son of God living in your life. He created you in his image to share in, in, and participate in his divine nature. And I'm going to give you some other scriptures here in just a second. But when we participate in God's divine nature, it doesn't mean that we assume who God is, that we take over who God is. God is still God, and I'm still not God. <laughs> Do you get that? We could go overboard with some of these. I've, I've heard teachings in the Christian church 
You are gods. You are divine. You know, Mormonism would lead you to believe that you can become a god. There's other religions that lead you to believe this. No, 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 and no. But yet, he has delegated some of his, his uh, sovereignty to us to, be, to, to, to make right choices, God willing. But look at this. Psalms 82, 6. All right? And when you read a scripture like Psalms 82, 6, the last thing that you want to do is go off and make a doctrine off of this one scripture. You've got to read the whole Bible. You've got to read the verses around the scripture. You've got to keep things in context because if you don't, you're going to end up going down the wrong path and you could literally get away from the Lord Jesus Christ by believing a lie. And you don't want to do that. But let me read this to you. Psalms 82, 6, it says, I said, you are gods. <laughs> You are all sons of the Most High. You are all sons of the Most High. Now, in saying that you are God's, he's going back to the scripture that we just read. You've been created in the image of your creator. And in such, there's a certain amount of divinity deposited in us, but it doesn't make us objects of worship. Only God is to be worshiped. Only God is to be worshipped. And so what is it that would quote-unquote maybe describe us as God's is that he's given us a piece of sovereignty to decide evil or to decide righteousness. He's put your destiny in your hand to make certain decisions. And we need to make sure we make the right decisions. Now, thank God we serve a merciful and a gracious God that when I stub my toe or worse still I fall flat on my face he doesn't say aha you're dead you're gone it's over no we serve a merciful and gracious and wonderful God who picks us back up not one time not five times a thousand times plus until we stay up that's how God is but he's called us in this one verse gods because he's he's given us a level of of sovereignty to rule and to make decisions he's created us in in his image let's look at psalms 8 verses 4 through 9 it says i believe this is a psalm of david it says what is mankind that you are mindful of him so have you ever thought about that i'm a grasshopper in this universe no worse still i'm a speck of sand in this universe how could god pay any attention to me i'm so small and insignificant that's what david is saying here what is mankind that you're mindful of him human beings that you care for them you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory he's deposited some glory in your life and honor verse six he says you made them mankind men and women rulers over the works of your hands he's given us a little bit of sovereignty enough to get us into quite a bit of trouble by the way <laughs> right enough i hate to put it this way enough rope to hang ourselves sometimes but he says he's made this, us rulers over the works of your hands you put everything under their feet god has put everything under your feet that's that's an amazing scripture and we're going to read something that gives a little bit more insight there all the flocks, all the herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim, uh, the paths of the seas. Listen to this. Lord, our Lord, 
how majestic is your name in all the Lord, in all the earth. So, yes, we have some sovereignty. Yes, we have some glory, but God is God. I will worship and serve the Lord only, and I'm not, never going to reach a status of equality with God, ever. And you know what? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be God. You know what part of the problem, the stress in our lives is? Is we actually want to be God-like. We want to control the destiny of our kids. We want to control the destiny of this or that and the other. And God's saying, let go and let me be God. And the stress evaporates whenever we do that. Let God be God. I don't want to be God. Just a couple more thoughts here, though. Second Peter uh, 1.4, it says, this is great. This puts it in perspective. Um, through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. And so God wants you to participate in his divine nature. He's given you glory. He's given you the image. You're created in his image. If you'll open your heart, Jesus will live in your life. You'll, you'll have a level of authority and sovereignty that you haven't had prior to knowing Jesus. But I love this scripture in Romans 8, 18. I came across it just the other day. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed where? In us. Where is God's glory? It's inside of you and it shines out of your face sometimes. The, the Bible says in um, Psalms 34, it says that our faces literally um, shine sometimes. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but our faces shine the glory of God. I want more of God in me so that I have more glory shining out of me. Why do I want more glory shining out of me? I want others to know Jesus as well. I want them to have that image of God, being re, redefining who they are. So where does this godlike or godliness end? <laughs> this godlikeness or godliness end, and it ends with worship. The Bible says that you and I were to be godly. In other words, we're to be godlike, even containing some divine uh, attributes of kindness, of love, of strength, of peace, of joy. He wants you to have all of these things. But it comes to an end when it comes to worship. Only God is to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. It says in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped, listen to this, worshipped created things rather than the creator. Obviously, God, that's displeasing to God. He wants us to, to, to praise and worship the creator. In Hebrews 2.6-9, it quotes... Psalms 8, which we've already read, and it gives it a little bit more, gives us a little bit more insight. It says, but there is a place where someone testified, and again, it's referring to Psalms 8, what is mankind that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything at his feet. Then the writer of Hebrews explained this, explains this a little further and says, in putting everything under their feet, God left nothing that's not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to us, don't we? 
Don't you see things that are not subject to you? It drives you crazy. You wish you could fix that, fix the other, fix the other. But God says, put everything under your feet, but you're not seeing it yet. It's not working for you yet. But it says this, but we do see Jesus, <laughs> who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Where, where does God-likeness ends? When it comes to worship, I worship the Son of God, the Son of God whose name is Jesus. And in every conversation when I'm telling somebody about God, I need to get in the habit of using the name Jesus. Because God is a misunderstood term out there. It's a misunderstood term in here possibly as well. But when we start talking about Jesus, it brings a lot more clarity to who we're speaking about. We see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor, everything subject to, to uh, placed under his feet in, in uh, subject to him. So listen to this. This is interesting. First Timothy 3.16 says, Truly, the mystery of godliness is great. <laughs> the mystery of being godlike and following God's example is really a mystery. It's really a mystery. But you know what? I want to get to God, know God more, and I want to know godliness more. I want to be created in the sovereign image of God. I'll take whatever sovereignty he delegates to me, but it'd be like my parents giving me their credit card. I better use it with care. I better use it only where they want me to use it. I better use it subject to their will. Now, thank they don't give me their credit card, so I don't want you to think I'm going asking them for money but but picture that you know if I should have used my own kids if I give them my debit card I expect the, them to use it only in a way that I would use it so when God gives us that sovereignty we need to use it accordingly so then we see in Genesis going back to Genesis 1 we're in verse 28 said God blessed them what the the man and woman Adam and Eve and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth are we going to get overpopulated here on earth? No. God's going to make sure that doesn't happen. We don't have to worry about going and setting up colonies in Mars or on the moon. God is going to take control. He set this earth up with atmosphere, with everything that we need. We don't need to be flying off to other planets to survive. You know what? God, God's going to take care of us. He said, rule over the fish of the sea and says the same thing. So God bless them with fruitfulness and increase they f to fill the earth to subdue it and so just some literally just two more verses um, God's sovereignty gives us everything that we need to live God's sovereignty gives us everything that we need to live and in 2nd Peter um, 1 3 it says his divine power so remember, when you hear the word power and authority, think sovereignty. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. A godlike life. A godly life. Everything. 2 Peter 1.3 Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. <laughs> There's I, I, everything that we talked about all jam-packed into a single verse of goodness of glory of sovereignty he went and picked you and said i choose you i'm going to do something good for you can you thumb your nose at god and say i reject your choosing absolutely you can 
Absolutely you can. That's that sovereignty he's delegated into your life. But I, I don't know. I can't speak for you. I can't even speak for my own kids. I can only speak for myself. If God sovereignly chooses me, I'll say, yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. I will go with you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Let your sovereignty be upon me. I love the scripture in, in Isaiah 61.1. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. That's what I want. That's what I want. We're going to continue on next week reading through the rest of the beginning all the way through Noah and seeing what God's intentions with his sovereignty were. But I'll tell you this. If you haven't gotten this from these set of scriptures, I'll just put it out there. God has delegated an amount of his sovereignty to you and me to make choices, to make decisions. We need to listen to the whisper of his spirit and make the right choices in our lives, both small and great. Amen.